that brings us to our consideration on the back page of your bulletin. And this is from Booker T. Washington. And it's the true measure of success. And he says, I have learned that success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed. And that, there's, that really gives depth to you, doesn't it? I mean, when you have actually struggled to get to the top, it adds depth to the person and it makes a huge difference when that occurs. Which brings us into our message because for the believer today, there is a lot of uh, opportunity for the believer to go through trials and tribulations. Trials and tribulations. And I want you to know as we look at First Peter, we've been talking about how to, that the church is the source of God's glory. The church is the source of God's glory in, in our Glory to Glory series. And so we've been talking about glory and what glory is and glory is being able to manifest an opinion. That opinion can be manifest in bright light, right, as we saw with the Lord Jesus in, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, or with the angel that was at the Lord's tomb. But here today in this dispensation, the focus of the glory is on a manifestation of an opinion as the believer is able to show forth God's life in activity. God's life can be seen out in each believer. And what is that life? Eternal life. For a long time when I was a kid, I was told and I understood that you were going to get eternal life and we thought that that eternal life was going to be in the future. But now we understand that you have that eternal life today as a possession. First John 5 says that when you came to be a believer, one thing happened that was significant. The Son came and indwelt inside of you. And as a result of his indwelling, he is imparting to you eternal life. Right? So let's read that as an, so we can have an example there for you to be able to go back to in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So the son has eternal life in him, right? So now you're going to see that the son, as he indwells you, he gives to you eternal life. He that has the son has what? Life. And that's eternal life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. So those who are unsaved don't have that kind of life. So don't look at it as just longevity of life. Look at it as a quality of life. Right? And so that life has a component to it that when it's lived out, it can be seen out in activity. John chapter 1 and verse 4. In him was life... And that life was the light of men. So that life can be lived out and it can be seen. Now, I don't think that most of the people that see it understand what they're seeing. But they see something different, right? The unsaved see something in the believer as that life is being seen out. They may not be able to identify what it is. But they see that there's something different. And so this is how the believer, as we've seen it, is one of the ways that the believer can glorify God. That that life can be seen out as the believer depends on the Holy Spirit to produce it. And what is seen in that life? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness. These are things that you don't see in the, un in the unsaved world. You ever seen a class on that at school? Have you ever seen people actually who are unsaved be able to consistently show forth that kind of life? They're incapable of it. And the believer can. Now, here's the, in the interesting thing is what we have a real problem with is that that life can actually be shown forth even in troublesome times. Even as the believer suffers. 
And so, you know, a lot of people um, talk about suffering, but they, I mean, talk about being a believer and being a partaker of what God is doing, but when it comes to suffering, oh no, I don't want any of that. It was like if you were going through a cafeteria and only the, the bar was all of these different things, eternal life, love, joy, peace, right? And all of these things are there and you're going down the, the bar and then you got the suffering. How many people would put that on their plate? <laughs> Most people would say, well, no, don't have any of that today. <laughs> they would keep going, right? Well, notice this is very important. Suffering is very important. And I want you to know that there, when we suffer as believers, that we are, as Courtney was talking about this this morning, we're participating in the body of Christ. And we're making up for the sufferings of the body. We are sharing in common with Christ his sufferings. And I think that there's an evangelistic uh, component to it. Most people don't say it, but I did copy this quote from Lewis Perry Chafer this morning. And he says this, the reality of human suffering and its place in the Christian life is so vital a part of, of true evangelism. And it occupies so conspicuous a place in the New Testament that it should be considered sufficiently at length to distinguish that particular part of suffering which has to do with the salvation of the lost from its other aspects. And so here you see the believers suffer, and you can just see this all throughout the course of the New Testament. Let me show you a scripture, and then we'll uh, say a prayer, and then we'll get involved, get uh, right into it. And Courtney was here this morning, Philippians chapter 2, or 3. So suffering is a part of the believer's Christian life. You and I, while we're in this body, we are going to suffer. I wish I had better news for you. (laughs) You're going to suffer in this life. You really are. And so notice in Philippians, well, before you go to 3, go over to one twenty-nine, and notice what Paul says uh, to the believer. For unto you it is given... On, in the behalf of Christ, and, no, that's it. Word "given." You really don't get the full effect of it in the English. Uh, it really is that you have been given by grace. It's a gracious thing God has graciously given to you to be a part of what He's doing in this thing of not only believing, but notice what He also says that it's a thing of grace to suffer. Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Right? And nobody, I mean, we don't teach that a lot in the church, do we? (laughs) But it's true. Now notice over in Philippians chapter 3, he adds it again. And he says, he talks about his uh, goal and uh, what he desired to accomplish as um, as he matured. And he says, verse 9, and to be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of law, or of the law. Really, it's out from law. And so, not just the Mosaic law, but we come up with our own laws to show ourselves how righteous we are to men. Look at what I can do. I do this and this and this. And that's what he's talking about. But that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God, which is by faith. Now notice what he says in verse 10. That I may know him. And Courtney (laughs) talked about this this morning, this experiential knowledge of the Son. And I do think that this is a process that the believer goes through. And so you have these two kinds of knowledge. You have an oida knowledge where I know the facts about something. And you can see believers learn the facts about their position in Christ and what God has done and that in him I'm considered to be accepted. But do you know that it goes past that, that as you grow and mature, you come to understand the son more and more. And he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection Crucial thing here. I think that's where the Christian life is lived out. There is a power that as a believer sees himself in Christ. Second uh, Corinthians 5, uh, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That's, who God, that's how God sees me, right? 
as being sitting at his right hand. He sees me not as I was born into this world as, but as somebody who has been changed as a result of the work that the son accomplished. And he sees me sitting at his right hand. That's how the father sees me. The saddest part is, is that the believer sees himself way down here. Even in spite of the revealed facts from scripture that says that he's up here. And there's a powerful living that comes from understanding that, that helps you to live this life. The power of his resurrection and notice the fellowship of his sufferings. What? Yes, we can share in common the sufferings of Christ. And so a lot of people say, I don't know about that one. You know, I, that's not what I chose. <laughs> I didn't sign up for that. Well, you know, you can suffer in a lot of different ways. And it not, it's not saying that you're going to die. Do you know the hardest thing is to live for Christ? Dying is an easy thing. You only die once. You can suffer quite, quite often. And to be made conformable unto his death. So we're going to see it because Peter was talking to the believers in uh, Rome who were suffering because of the um, Nero and what he did to the Christians. And he is writing them and he's telling them, you shouldn't be shocked by this. This is what you were called for. And then he's going to tell them this. This is how you can glorify God. That you can glorify God through suffering. I mean, most people, when they think about bringing glory to God, it's not that, right? But that you can glorify God in suffering, and we'll see it. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that you've given us the opportunity to be able to serve you. And one of those things in serving you, as we're able to bring glory to you, is to be able to suffer on behalf of your sake. So we're thankful, Father, that we can have the right attitude about this and understand that you provide the power for us to be able to endure through these kind of things. And we're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so in First Peter chapter 4, uh, notice what he says, and we'll read down that we were in 10 and 11 last week. And notice what he says in verse 12. Now, remember, what he, as he writes this, he's writing to believers, and the backdrop is Nero set Rome on fire. He blamed it on the Christians, and there was persecution that broke out among, uh, against Christians greater than it's ever uh, uh, been seen in uh, the time of Christianity. And I don't think that anybody's seen that kind of persecution even to this day, to the point that Nero had Christians and he was burning them at the stake using them to light his backyard as torches. And so you had this going on, and so these believers were wondering, what is going on here? And Peter says in verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in so much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. That you are sharing in common together the suffering of Christ. Now, <clears throat> there are things that um, when you're a part of an organization that everybody has to go through. You have to be a part of that. You have to experience that as a part of an organization. I was thinking when Courtney was in the uh, Air Force, he wrote back and told us that they all had to go into this um, gas chamber, right? And they had to take their mask off. And how long did you have to stay in there? In the room. So you have to stay in this room with this gas (laughs) um, chamber. I don't know, the Marines are probably too tough for that. They didn't need that. (laughs) And so... And so they go in there and they had to do it. Every single person had to do it. It was a requirement of being a part of, in in that situation, he was in the Air Force. And so from the believer's point of view, one of the things that the believer will go through as you are part of the body of Christ is to suffer together with Christ. 
Now, Courtney did an excellent job of talking about that this morning as he was talking about uh, on the road to Damascus when the Lord told uh, Paul or Saul that you're persecuting me. Why? How could he say that? Because he was suffering because his body was suffering. Right. And so notice he says in verse 13, but rejoice in so much as you are partakers of, the, of Christ's suffering so that when his glory shall be revealed, you shall be glad also with exceeding joy. And then he says this, and this is where we're going to dial in and focus on verses 14 through 16. If you be reproached, or really there's a first class condition there, it's not if what was happening was that they were, since you be reproached for the name of Christ, Happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But notice he says this, verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the house of God. And let's look at this in verse 14. And so this ideal of suffering reproach. Now what is a reproach? Now I'll give you a couple of definitions here. Um, Reinecke Rogers gives this definition. The word is used in the Septuagint for reproaches heaped up on God and his saints by the wicked. And in the New Testament, it becomes associated with indignities and maltreatments which Christ had to endure. And so I told you many times before, I could not be a good God. Right? Now look at the things they said to the Lord. And if they would have said them to me, I probably, you said what? <laughs> what was that you said? <laughs> right? Zebo, right? I'd be taking people out left and right. There would be nobody left, right? But you notice, he, he didn't do that. And so notice over in First Peter, if you turn over to First Peter, um, chapter 2. And so, interesting enough, this is what we, you remember the big thing when they said, be like Christ, walk in his steps? And all of the sermons I heard that talks about you should walk in the steps of Christ, nobody used this verse. And this is how you can walk in his steps. By suffering in the way that he suffered. Notice in verse 20. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your fault, you shall take it patiently? But when you do well and suffer for it and you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. So, and you see this with people today, right? They say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. And this person did this to me and they did that to me. Well, duh. It's not a matter of whether I do something wrong or right. You probably will suffer for doing right. Verse 21. For even hereto you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, now here you have it, that we should follow in his steps. Right? And here's how you really can follow in the steps of Christ. Notice what happens here. Verse 22. Who did no sin, Neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, and here's that word, that word to people speaking disparagingly against him, saying things, and it really gets you, right? When people say things that are, that are not true, and this really gets your goat, right? People say things, maybe they say things that are true, and you say, well, yeah, okay, you got me on that one. But when they say things that are not true, I mean, this really gets you, right? He reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not. See, that's, that's me. I would have said, okay, gotcha. <laughs> you said, what? He threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own sin, self bury our sins in his uh, own body on a tree, that being dead to sins, we should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And so notice... This reviling. Now, I give you another definition to speak disparagingly of a person in a manner which is not justified, or to really to hurl insults at someone, right? And and you see a lot of this today in the American culture, particularly against Christians. People 
saying insulting things. And you want to correct them and say, oh, no, 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 that's not true. And that's really, there's nothing you're going to be able to say. If you notice that the Lord doing his earthly ministry, there's things, there are some things that people say you will not be able to say anything that's going to counter what they say. You can argue all you want. You're dealing with people who don't understand what they're talking about. And you're not going to be able to reason them into agreeing with you. And so this idea of going back into chapter 4 and verse 14, he says that um, if you are reproached, or since you are being reproached, they were being insulted or reviled. Indignities said about them. Um, I know when I was younger, it says, you know, the axiom was sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Just please don't throw sticks and stones. <laughs> but, you know, today, and, and particularly today, where believers have bought into the world's view of the fact that I'm good, you're good, everybody's good, the worst thing that people hate is for someone to say something about them. They can't take it. The Lord did. And so he says in, in verse 14, since you be reproached for the name of Christ, or really uh, that word for the name, I give you how that's being used. I would translate it this way, existing in a sphere of a character of the thing. In other words, for the character of Christ. And so you're living, and I think what's happening here is these ones were living as in their position in Christ. They were living as they were uh, raised together with Christ and seated together with him. And they're living by grace. And so there was an insult. These insults were being driven as a result of that. And what does he say? Happy are you. Or really the word for happy. Um, I hate to tell you this, but when you tell somebody, bless you, when they sneeze, you know what you're telling them? Be happy. That's the word makarios. And it's to be supremely blessed by extension to be well off, to be fortunate. And I think the history behind that was that uh, there was a the belief that when you sneezed, you were on the throes of death and you could die. And, and then that's where that came in at. Uh-huh. You said they would say your heart would stop. Your heart would stop, yes. And so that's why they started saying that. But that's the idea of you're blessed. When somebody actually reviles you, it's actually a good sign. Why? It's a sign that you're actually living out a life that in some instances people will be repulsed by. And so um, it's not necessarily a, a horrible thing. And so you see that word from a karyos, or be blessed. It's actually translated happy, but it's actually the word blessed. Let me just show you. Uh, it's used with suffering a lot. And I'm just going to show you one verse. Look at James 1, chapter 12. I always put more in the outline than, than we're going to talk about, but that's, you could go home and you could study it. See that word in um, James 1.12? Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord had promised to them that, that love him. And you see it earlier, um, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Or here you have temptations, it's translated temptations. Uh, and then you see it here. And so in two places you see it with regard to suffering. That you can be happy in the midst of this suffering that you're going through. Uh, and notice what he goes on to say in First Peter, going back to First Peter chapter 4 and verse 14. For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Uh, and that's what that word rest is to call something, someone, or to permit one to cease from movement or labor. Or, um, and so here, I, I think here, it, I, I would actually translate this on account of you. It rests on account of you. Now notice what he says in verse 15. Uh, I actually... Let's finish 14. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, 
he is glorified. Now we'll come back to this in our last point, the fact that uh, he is glorified as a result of this and the two different ways that that's seen. But I want to drop down to 15 and we'll deal with that. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. And so you have believers who get themselves into certain situations and they believe that they're suffering for the cause of Christ. And really they're not suffering for the cause of Christ. They're suffering because of what they are doing. Right? Now notice this idea of a murderer is someone who actually is, uh, takes someone's life for their own benefit. Now I want you to know that the Bible does not teach that all killing is wrong. You do not see that in scripture. In fact, in Romans chapter 13, it says that the government has the right to take life. You go back into Genesis that it says that. And so there are people are able to, unable to differentiate between uh, murder, which is a, a selfless killing, and the, uh, the other, right? And so you have people who are outside of the uh, prisons who are you know, campaigning that all murder is wrong. The Bible teaches that killing is wrong. That, that is not true. That is not true. You do will not find that in scripture. This one deals with the fact of murder. It's a work of the flesh and you're killing someone for your own selfish purposes. Then you have thief. Now this word for thief is actually, it's an interesting word. You have two types of uh, people that were robbed. You have the word for klepto, right? We, we hear that. That comes right over in the English language. And then you have the word for somebody who robs in the open. They're brazen and they're robbing. So this guy here, he's talking about is a klepto, one who takes things that doesn't belong to them in a stealthy manner. And someone is stealing, but they're doing it, um, and they're doing it under the cover. Or, and there's a general term here, as an evildoer. And so that word for evildoer is a compound form. You have kakos, which is to do stuff that is lacking in character. You're, you're, you're acting and you're doing things that are lacking in character. Um, and so this, this is really a general term. And you see a lot of believers can do a lot of things in a general term. And you hear people who say that they're doing things out in the public square. And you can see that this is lacking in character. What they're doing is lacking in character. But they say, yeah, and then they did this to me. I'm suffering for the cause of Christ. No, you're suffering because you're acting evilly. And that's what you're doing. And so he put this out here because there's a lot of believers who actually believe that everything they do is going to glorify God. But there are some of these things. Uh, here, for example, this word is used. Let me show you one of the places where the uh, word is used. It says in um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. This word for kakos evil, I really believe that this evil is an evil in which it's a selfish evil. The person is only concerned about themselves. And so they do things from that. And so notice in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. So there's the evil word that is used there. It's the word for kakos, which means that you're lacking in character of what is expected, but you're only doing it for yourself. You're doing things that are lacking in character for yourself. And that's how it's used in this context. While some, having coveted after, have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through many sorrows. So you can have that happen where people are lacking in character and they're pursuing things. And then they say they're doing it for the cause of Christ when it's really for themselves. And they feel like they're, being, they're suffering. And then notice the other thing. Don't suffer as a busybody in other people's matters. That word for busybody is one who busies himself in the affairs of others in an unwarranted manner, a meddler in things that do not concern him. And so that can happen. And you have people and believers who are involved in things that you better use a lot of wisdom about what you engage in. There are things that people are doing that you and I have no, that's not our involvement. And if you involve yourself in it and you suffer for it, maybe that's on you. That's not on God, that's on you. Now notice going back to First Peter, and then we'll drop down to verse 16. First Peter 4, 16. 
Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And so this interesting, this word for Christian, it's only used, it's used several times in scripture, not, not a lot. And the first time you see it is in Acts 11.26, if you want to go over to Acts 11.26. Before this word came up, most of the people that were involved with the, the cause of Christ were, were considered members of that way. And then it changed in Acts 11 and verse 26. Notice in verse 24, uh, uh, 22, the tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came he had seen the grace of God and was glad and exhorted them that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and many people were added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled there uh, themselves with the church and taught many people. And the disciples were uh, called Christians first at Antioch. And so this word for Christian, and you see it used um, again with Paul as he was talking to Agrippa and Agrippa brought this up and so those who actually followed were followers of Christ or um, belonging to Christ and so the believer uh, suffering as a Christian should not be ashamed and so if someone says well I mean they got they have Christians cowering today nobody wants to say this is the truth I'm not backing down from it one of my pet peeves today is people who stand up and say th- something, and then they get feedback, and people say, oh, well, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> and they backpedal faster than I've ever seen, faster than Deion Sanders on the football field, right? And the thing is, is that, you know, if you're going to say something, and if it's true, and you're saying it, and it's true, why take it back? And so here you have it. That if you suffer as a Christian, blessed are you, happy are you. And it's not always that way. Now let me give you this guy, Onesimus, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Some people can't take suffering. And you, you will find it that some people will cower. And when it comes to suffering, they say, oh, I, don't, I, I didn't buy into that. Not Onesimus. Actually, Onesimus is somebody who didn't su- who who actually suffered, but uh, it was Timothy that was was the problem. So notice, and we'll pick it up in verse uh, six. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou should stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now that word for fear is actually the word for cowardice in spiritual matters. And so you can act, people can actually be a coward. So Paul told Timothy to go over to Ephesus and notice what he told them in 1 Timothy, that you charge those who are teaching a different kind of Old Testament doctrine not to do it anymore. Notice he didn't say go over there and say, please, pretty please, will you not do this? He says you charge them to not do it anymore. Timothy wasn't up to the task. Now, some people might say that Timothy was a mama's boy. Probably so. Why? Because look at the two people that he outlines here that had an effect on Timothy in Second uh, Timothy chapter 1. His mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice. And so Timothy was timid. So I can imagine when he went over there, they said, okay, Timmy, you go right back home to mama. We got this figured out. <laughs> and he coward and so notice Paul has to write him in the second epistle and say God has not given us the spirit of cowardice but of power and of love and of a sound mind and notice what he goes on to tell him you stop being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power from God. Timothy was ashamed. 
and Paul warned, Paul had to admonish him. And notice if you go down, he says, here you have Onesimus in verse 16. He says, the Lord give mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Uh, I said Onesimus, Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and he was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. Well, what happens when you suffer? Paul was suffering. Paul had the reputation of being a jailbird. This guy's a troublemaker. And nobody wants to associate with people like that. Because they don't want to suffer the same thing. Timothy began to be ashamed of Paul. Because he didn't want to suffer. Now notice one of the things that Paul goes on to tell him, which is, I think is significant, is in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That word for strong, it's actually the same word we saw over in Philippians. It's the word endunimus. It's the word to be empowered. There's an ability that you can gain by living by grace, and where is that grace found? In your position in Christ. It gives you an empowerment to stand up firm in the midst of suffering. And not to cower. And not to back down. And he says, Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed of me. He sought me out. Do you know What's that old saying? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, what I'm seeing today is when the going get tough, there's a lot of people get going, but they ain't tough. They start running in the other direction. Because they don't know how to deal with adversity. That's what was happening to Timothy. And Paul says, uh, Peter said to the believers over in Rome, if you suffer as a Christian, notice he says that you can glorify God in this, that the believer suffering as a Christian should glorify God or can glorify God by this name. That word for glorify, to express an opinion about God. It's okay. This is what God has allowed. I don't run and try to pick fights with people in order to glorify God. But if I'm doing what God wants me to do in the course of that, it will happen. And I can express an opinion about God and how I operate in the midst of that suffering. Now, what is suffering? There's several words and we'll deal with it um, hopefully down the line, and then talking about suffering, you have the word for afflictions, which is, uh, and then the word that Courtney was dealing with earlier, persecutions. People will pursue you doggedly, but the one that really gets your goat, afflictions. That word for thalipsis, and I think Courtney talked about it this morning, and it's the idea of pressures. And so the, the best way I can illustrate this, and I've, I've tried to do that since I've been here, is uh, as we used to watch Batman and Robin back in the day, I remember that the Cape Crusaders were dropped into this hole, and everywhere they looked, the walls were closing in on them, right? You remember that episode? I see you <laughs> smiling. And do you know that's a good illustration of that word for afflictions? Pressures. That everywhere you look, there's pressure coming from every direction. Right? And you can suffer in that way where there's pressure, pressure, pressure. And a lot of people don't understand how to deal with the pressure. They crack under the pressure. But the believer, as the believer is empowered by our position that we can stand firm... And notice you can glorify God on this. Let me show you one scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. And he takes it to our life. And how we're able to order our life. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. He says something here that's really interesting. He says. Verse 11. Dearly beloved I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lust, 
<clears throat> excuse me, which war against the soul. Having your conversation, that word conversation is really, it's not what you're verbally saying, it's how you conduct your life. You may not realize it, but I really think that a lot more is caught from the unsaved people than taught. They're watching how you conduct your life. And that word for conversation, it looks at the, the, your habit of life. It's what you're doing over and over and over again. Right? And you have a lot of Christians, and I've seen them, you know, some of them, Please don't put a bumper sticker on the back of your car saying you're a believer. Please. You put a bumper sticker on the back of your car as a believer and you're going down the road, down 95, and somebody cuts you off and you're, well, who knows what you're doing to them. And they're looking at that bumper sticker on the back of your car and said, and they call themselves a Christian. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I was always, when I worked for FedEx, hypersensitive to the fact that when, once you identify yourself as a believer, people are watching you, and most of the time they will never say a word. But they're watching whether your life lines up with what you say it is. And so this conversation, this habit of life, that really tells more about who I am than what I say. And so notice he says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. <clears throat> and that word honest is actually the word for kalos. And remember we talked about the two different good words. You have kalos, which is uh, something looks beautiful on the outside, right? Even the people that are persecuting un- the, the believer, they, they take note of the fact of the response of the believer to that. And so that word kalos means there's there's a beautiful appearance. Things line up the way that you would expect that they're supposed to do. So as I say, I'm I'm being persecuted by an unsaved person, and then before you know it, I'm throwing some uh, four-letter words at them. Right? Would that be good? No. But what about if I respond in graciousness? Would that be good? Yes. How do you suffer? When I'm living in my position in Christ, there's an empowerment that I get to be able to deal with any kind of suffering that I go through. And he says, if you suffer as having your conversation or your habit of life honest among the Gentiles, that as they speak against you as evildoers, So they're making false accusations and calling you the evildoer. Isn't that what's happening today in our culture? So you say today, no, I don't believe in transgenderism. You evil man! Right? You're the evil guy. But he says, they speak against you as evildoers. (coughs) Excuse me. They may buy your good works which they shall behold. See that word behold? <clears throat> it's, and this is why I tell you, I'm, I'm confident that believe, unbelievers are watching what you do. I, I, when I was at FedEx, I had people say things to me that I didn't even know that they were watching. But they are. This word actually means to look upon, to observe, to be a spectator to watch uh, over a period of time. So over a period of time, they're observing what you said you are and what you actually do. That they shall behold, and notice the result of that, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, I think that these unbelievers here probably are elect because of what he says here about their day of visitation, the time in which God visits them. And I don't think he would be coming to them if there was no reason to do so. Let's close in verse 14 of chapter 4. 
And so notice he says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. And on their part, now, so you have two different sides of this result of you suffering and being reproached and how people as they observe you respond. On their part, he is evil spoken of. Already he says on, um, uh, on their part, he is evil spoken of. That word on their part, you have a, in this construction here, he's giving you a conundrum. And I would call it the conundrum of suffering. Because there's two things happening in suffering. On the one hand, you have this. On the other hand, you have that. What's the one hand? On their part, he, Christ, is evil spoken of. Or, they're, they're blaspheming. That's actually the word that is used there in the Greek. They're saying things about the Lord because of how you're conducting yourself and, and actually living out God's life that is not true. Well, this we can see even today, right? That people will say things about our Lord that is not true. They say things about believers that are not true. And you just want to correct them and say, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. No, 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 you, no, you, you're, getting, you're getting it wrong. Do you know there's no amount of conversation or debate you're going to have with people that are going to change their minds on that? It's what they see. And so, uh, and so this word for blaspheme is that they are blaspheming or asserting things to God that are not true. And this is what the unsaved man does. But notice, on the other hand, what's happening with you. But on your part, he's glorified. It's measured by you and how you're conducting your life, God's glorified. Why? Because his life is seen out through me in this human body. That's what people are really against. And really going a little further, you know what people hate more than anything? The truth. And I, said, I think that's what really the fight is all throughout this country that's on display. <coughs> people despise the truth and they de- despise the people who live it out. So what do I do? Do I back away from living this life? My habit of life? Allowing God to be able to work through me for his life to be seen out in me. All you have to do is do that. And notice, and I'm going to show you just a scripture, and I'm going to close with this one. Notice in uh, <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 3, we have a promise from scripture, and it's a promise that not a lot of people want to cling to, but it is true. <clears throat> Paul says this in verse 12 is where we want to go. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He didn't say you might. He said there's a possibility. Really, the language is strong. You're going to suffer persecution. If you just decide I'm going to live out God's life and activity and my habit of life and I'm going to allow him to be seen out in me on display on my job and my uh, home and everything that I do, you will suffer persecution. That's a promise. Well, he goes only further to say you don't even have to desire to do it. And notice what he says, verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But notice what Paul said about his life. Notice in verse 6, he says, for uh, verse 7, 
uh, well, pick it up at 8. Now, as Jonathan and John Bridge withstood Moses, so these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest to all men as theirs was. But thou hast known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, my charity, my patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, where persecutions I endured. But notice here, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Right? Paul says uh, at my last defense, in 2 Timothy 4, he says, at my last defense, all forsook me. <clears throat> Everybody that was with me forsook me. But what did he say? But the Lord stood by me and empowered me. In this life, you will have tribulation, even as you just live out God's quality of life. And um, what they really don't like, it's not you. It's the truth. And it's that life that they're seeing being manifested out that they cannot stand because it's a testimony to who they are. How can we glorify God? Here's another way. We've been talking about the different ways we can glorify God. Here's one. By suffering. And how do we handle that suffering? Do we allow the life of the Son to be lived out in us? Do we access the power that God provides? Or do we do as I said that I probably might do in those situations and lash out? God provides the power. All we have to do is rely upon it. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to look at these things and grateful to ask believers that in this body we can actually suffer for, on behalf of, uh, for your sake. And we're thankful that you provide the ability to be able to do it. We're so thankful that as believers that we can stand firm for what is true in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And we're so thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.